Well, good morning. My name is Dwayne. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a teaching ministry that is designed to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Uh, today is July the 26th, and today is going to be session 24 in our study through the book of Acts. So we are looking at Acts chapter number 13 today. Um, and again, we've covered this um, Monday through Friday, but now we're going to look at it as a whole. Uh, we're going to look at verses, we're going to do a little intro, then we're going to look at verses 1 through 31, I believe is what we're going to cover today. Um, so let's go ahead and pull up our, our Bibles here and my notes. Uh, Acts chapter number 13, and uh, just a brief introduction here. Let's pray quickly. Father, we love you. I ask that you go before us this day. Bless the reading of your word. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> chapter number 13 gets pretty interesting for me because for most, not all, I must confess, it is the beginning of the gospel of grace as taught by the Apostle Paul. Uh, just that statement alone will knock some people back on their heels because this is not commonly taught today in most denominational churches. Uh, most denominational churches will celebrate the birth of the church in Acts chapter number two. Uh, I, a year or so ago, I began to question that teaching. Um, so much confusion in the church today, and much of that confusion is formed and shaped by the understanding of Acts chapter number two, uh, the understanding of the first several chapters of the book of Acts. Um, and as a result of that, and begin to study, begin to question the assumptions, if you will, uh, it became obvious to me that the church as we know it, the body of Christ, was not formed in Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2 is just a continuation of the kingdom gospel that began to be preached with John the Baptist, um, through Jesus, through the apostles, and it culminated with the legitimate offering of the kingdom in Acts chapter number 2, by the Apostle Peter. Um, and as we'll see as we work our way through Acts chapter number 13, this will become very obvious that Paul is changing gears here. Uh, he is definitely preaching a gospel of the cross, a gospel of belief only, a gospel that focuses on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A gospel that begins to pull away from works such as repentance and baptism. And again, so much confusion in the body of Christ today, I believe, comes back to a misinterpretation of Acts chapter number 2. Now, if you were to ask me when did... Um, the church, the body of Christ began, I would tell you today it began with the conversion of Paul. It began with the conversion of the Apostle Paul um, because he was the first one to hear it. He was the first one to respond to it. 
In 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying, worthy all acceptation, that Jesus Christ came into the world, saved sinners of whom I am first. I am chief. It doesn't mean I'm the worst of all sinners. It means I was the first. Howbeit for this cause, I obtained mercy that in me first, the exact same word that's translated protos, um, which is chief in verse number 15, it's the same word here, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. Makes it abundantly clear to me that the Apostle Paul was the first to be born into the body of Christ. When did the body of Christ begin? With the, with the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Now, there's a lot of disagreement, uh, and you will get people who talk about the mid-Acts um, view, which is what this is called, mid-Acts, meaning the church wasn't born in the first part of Acts, or in the latter part of Acts, the church, the body of Christ, was born in the middle of Acts. Now, there's disagreement as in, in, in regards to when and when and how many times Paul was converted. Um, we believe that Paul was converted in the middle of Acts, and that's where we end up with that mid-Acts, um, that mid-Acts term. But there's disagreement as to where in the middle, anywhere between chapter 9 and chapter number 13. Well, 13 is the middle, you know, the dead middle, but... Somewhere in there, there's there's disagreement. Some will say that there was only one conversion in Paul's life, and and that was on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter number nine, and that's when the dispensation of began. That's when First Timothy one fifteen took place. Others, such as myself, will say no. Uh, that was a kingdom conversion. He was he was uh, it was later that he received the revelation of the mystery. Uh, and that was a second, if you will, conversion, uh, and that it is the one he's referring to in 1 Timothy 1.15. So there's a little disagreement there. Uh, personally, you know, uh, like I've said before, I have the right to change my, my, my mind after further study. <laughs> I believe that Paul experienced, if you, if you want to say it that way, two conversions, uh, a kingdom conversion in Acts chapter number 9, <clears throat> A kingdom conversion in Acts chapter number 9 on the Damascus Road, and a second conversion after the revelation of the mystery sometime during or right after his three years in Arabia. Um, again, people disagree. Uh, uh, there are great and convincing arguments for both, uh, but I tend to lead, uh, lean toward there were two conversions in Paul's life, Acts 9, kingdom uh, and when he received the revelation of the mystery, which occurred later, I believe sometime during or right after the three years in Arabia. Now, notice in verse number one, and this is where we're going to pick up our study. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now, bear in mind that this was a predominantly Gentile church that had grown out of the teaching of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Um, and this is, you know, this is Antioch. And again, I, I've reiterated over and over and over, if you want to accurately interpret the book of Acts, 
you must begin to see it as a book of transition. It is a transition from the kingdom church to the to the grace church, to the body of Christ. It is a transition from Jerusalem to Antioch. It is a transition from Peter to Paul. And Peter is going to disappear off the scene here. Uh, he'll briefly reappear in chapter number 15 as Paul and Barnabas come back and explain what God is doing among the Gentiles and the, and the grace gospel that he's preaching. And it's clear that they will make an agreement that Peter and the Peter and the other 11 will stay in Jerusalem. They'll continue to teach the kingdom gospel to the Jewish fellowship there in Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas uh, will go and take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the uncircumcision. Uh, so this is predominantly a Gentile church. This, in my opinion, is the body of Christ uh, that you and I are a part of that is made up of both Jew and Gentile. You look at these names here, there's, there's, they're Hebrew names. It is made up of Jew and Gentile, but it is those who are converted under the gospel of grace. Um, notice that Paul is not the only teacher. There's other teachers there. Now notice in, in verse number two, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work unto which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Now God providentially decides that he wants to, to pull Paul and Barnabas out of this predominantly Gentile assembly, and he wants them to take that same gospel of grace uh, to the rest of the world. And this would become known as his first missionary journey. Now, we know that Paul would take at least <clears throat> three missionary journeys, depending on how many times he was imprisoned. And that comes down to an interpretation of 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, um, which to me seems to indicate that he was imprisoned twice, which would indicate four missionary journeys. But some people will say he was only imprisoned once, so it's three missionary journeys. So that's a, a study for another day. Now notice in verse number five, and when they were and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God, word of God in the synagogues. And they also had John um, to their minister. Now, my question here, and what I hear other Bible te teachers question is, what is he preaching here in the Jew in the synagogues with the Jews? Is he is he teaching kingdom a kingdom or grace? Now, some will say that Paul continued to preach the gospel, the kingdom to the Jews, but in the synagogues, and Paul always went to the synagogue first. Uh, and, of course, we know why. He said he would be accursed if it meant the salvation of his brethren, his kinsmen according to the flesh. So some would say that Paul continued to preach the gospel of the kingdom to in the synagogues. Uh, and yet when he was outside of the synagogues, he would preach the gospel of grace. I... I, I find no evidence of that, but I, I certainly understand what they're saying. Um, either way, I mean, I think today there is no response. There is no gospel of the kingdom being preached. Therefore, you cannot respond to the gospel of the kingdom. It, it left with the death of the last apostle, which would have been John. 
So the gospel of the kingdom is not salvific in that sense anymore, but it was at the time uh, when the when the twelve were running around and preaching it, including the apostle Paul. Um, so this is the last place where we can kind of go, hmm, what was he preaching there? Because once we get down in, in verses 38 and 39, it's going to become abundantly clear that he is teaching uh, the gospel of grace. Now, notice again that this John, the, that John Mark was with them to their minister. Now, John Mark is the one that penned the gospel of Mark. And the next verses are going to get interesting uh, and are the primary reason that I believe Paul is now going to start preaching the gospel of grace, starting with Sergius Paulus here. And a lot of people, including myself, see this story as a type of what's going on between the Jews and uh, Now notice in verse number six, <clears throat> and when they were gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, notice a Jew. So this guy is a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus. Now, Sergius Paulus is a Gentile. He's a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Okay? <clears throat> but Ilamus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation. So Ilamus is Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus is Ilamus the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn the deputy away from the faith. So they run into a Jewish false prophet whose name is Bar-Jesus, <clears throat> but Ilamus by interpretation according to verse number 8, and he apparently <clears throat> withstood Paul and Barnabas and sought to turn the deputy, Sergius Paulus, away from the faith. Now notice in verse number 9, Then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. Now this is very significant to the book, because from this point forward, Paul is never again referred to as Saul. He is now Paul. He has officially trans, trans, uh, transferred from his Hebrew name to his Greek name or his Gentile name. And to me, this is proof that Paul had already received the revelation of the mystery. Remember when Saul was saved, he was going to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, Jews, and Gentiles. Um, so to me, this is proof that he had received the revelation of the mystery. And again, Saul's name is used 26 times prior to this verse. And his name, Paul, is used 126 times after this verse. This, to me, is a strong indicator that it had already happened and the name change was merely the announcement that it had happened. Now, his name, Saul, is referred to when it's speaking to his pre-conversion experience, his pre-mystery experience, but going forwards, Paul is the only name that is used in the present tense as he's moving forward. Now, notice in verse number 10, <clears throat> And said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all, uh, uh, enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Now notice he accuses Ilamus of using subtlety and all mischief. Um, the word subtle today uh, means 
something different than it did back then. When we use the word subtle today, we say, well, that, that was subtle. In other words, that was, that was, that was not being very obvious uh, in what you're trying to do. It's, it's still manipulative, no doubt. But in this verse, the word is translated to mean crafty or, or deceitful or guileish, if you will. He's accusing him of using deception and dishonesty. So the word kind of means the same thing, but he's doing it to pervert the ways of the Lord. So here you have this Jew that is perverting the ways of the Lord, this Jew that is standing between uh, Paul and the salvation of this Gentile, Sergius Paulus. Now notice in verse number 11, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist of darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. And then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now some, including myself here, see this verse as a type of the transition that was taking place from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of grace, from the prophetic to the mystery. Understand, all Old Testament prophecy points to Israel, their king, and their kingdom, period. And no, you cannot find the mystery in the Old Testament because it is a mystery. It is hidden. Uh, it was not seen. Nobody saw it. The first one to see it was the Apostle Paul. And in this case, <clears throat> Elimus would be a type of unbelieving Israel that is now in temporary blindness. And Sergius Paulus would be a type of the Gentiles that can now clearly see. So the Gentile is clearly seeing what the Jew cannot see. And Paul <clears throat> refers to this over in the book of Romans. Uh, in Romans chapter number 11, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. The very fact that it says, and the rest were blinded, means that the election that had obtained it are Jews. Uh, too many, so much of covenant theology, well, there's so much of covenant theology is a misinterpretation of the book of Romans. Uh, in the book of Romans, in chapter 7 through 11, it's all about the Jew. Okay, what then? Hath Israel obtained that which he seeketh, but the election hath? In other words, there were some in Israel that did accept the king and his offer of the kingdom and obtained it, and the rest those Jews who did not, were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber. Who? The Jew. So if the election is the church, then they're asleep. Do you see the problem? <laughs> if the elect are the church, then they're asleep. They're still walking in blindness, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. So the election is referring to the Jews that, that did see. Um, and the rest were blinded. And David said, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Again, referring to the Jew. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. So the election is not referring to the church. If it is, the church is in trouble. 
It's referring to the Jew. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back all way. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. God's not through with the nation of Israel. And that's the the, the primary difference between uh, dispensational theology and covenant theology. Covenant theology believes God is through with Israel. Dispensational theology believes God is not through with Israel. There is a distinction between Israel and the church. There is a difference between the church, between Israel and the body of Christ. There are promises for Israel that have nothing to do with the body, and there's promises for the body that have nothing to do with Israel. Israel is about, is prophet, is, is about prophecy. Israel is about, about earthly promises. The body of Christ is spiritual, and it's heavenly promises. That's a dis, the dispensational uh, view of Scripture, and I believe that is the accurate view of Scripture. The rest of it, you're going to have to allegorize. You're going to have to read between the lines. You're going to have to spin things to make them say what you want them to say. So he said, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall. Salvation has come now to the Gentiles. First time those guys are mentioned, the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. So the elect are not the Gentiles. Now, if the fall of them, the Jews, be the riches of the world, the Gentiles, and the diminishing of them, the Jews, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? I mean, imagine what will happen when when the Jews can see, when they're no longer blinded. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, and I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, Paul was a Jew and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them, the Jew, be the reconciling of the world, the Gentile, what shall be the receiving of them, the Jew, but life from the dead? So, again, I mean, when you look at what Paul is saying there, this may very well be a type. Illimus being blinded, trying to mislead the Gentile. Sergius Paulus, and I think there's a reason you know, I mean, that last name is Paul, Paulus. I misspelled that on my thing there. But notice verse 1125, another another scripture here. For I would not, brethren, have that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to who? Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So obviously we're living in the fullness of the Gentiles, or we're living in the times of the Gentiles. But eventually, the times of the Gentiles will end. And once the times of the Gentiles are ended, their eyes will be opened. And of course, I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that the times of the Gentiles will end with the rapture of the church, with the rapture of the body of Christ. It'll be over. Then God will once again turn his attention back onto the nation of Israel, Daniel's 70th week, according to Daniel chapter number 9. So this would be the story uh, for the rest of Paul's ministry in that he was withstood at every turn by the Jews. Practically everywhere he went, practically every letter that he wrote, he addressed these Judaizers that would try to undermine everything that he did, every place that he went. They would question his call to, to be an apostle. They would question his ministry. They would question his gospel uh, they withstood him at every turn, just as Illimus did with Sergius Paulus. Um, now, there's no doubt that many of them listened. 
but most of them withstood and rejected Paul's apostleship. Now, I'm also drawn to uh, the phrase, the doctrine of the Lord here. This is the only place in the Bible um, where this phrase is used. I, I, I did a search. The only thing that even comes close is 1 Timothy 6.3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. So I believe this is a reference to the gospel of grace. The doctrine that's according to godliness is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How say some of you that Christ be not risen from the dead? If Christ be not risen from the dead, then you are you are still yet lost in your sins. You're above all men the most pitiable. If Christ be not risen from the dead, the doctrine that's according to godliness is the grace gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, the kingdom gospel is Christ, but the grace gospel is the cross. That is the differentiating factor. Now, notice in verse number 13. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, this seemingly insignificant verse is going to set up a dispute that's going to take place later between Paul and Barnabas, and it's going to lead them to breaking up, and Paul is going to side up with Silas, and Barnabas is going to take John Mark. And we're going to see this over in Acts chapter number 15 in verse 36. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city. Now he's referring to this first missionary journey here in Acts chapter number 13. And these cities, of course, are Paphos and Perga and Pamphylia. Um, we're going to see these, and he's going to want to go back and visit and encourage these brethren. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark, the same one that bailed on him here in Acts chapter number 13. But Paul said, thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them in Pamphylia and went with and went not with them to the work. Now we don't know why John Mark decided to bail on them here uh, while they're up here in Asia Minor, minor ministering and preaching the gospel of grace and establishing these churches. The Bible just doesn't tell us. But whatever it was, Paul was not happy with it, and Barnabas sought to justify it. And the contention was so sharp between them that they parted asunder one from the other, and Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So uh, now some will point to this schism, if you will, between Paul and Barnabas as uh proof that Barnabas was in the wrong because right after he left with John Mark, he was basically never heard from again. Um, I don't know if I would agree with that. I mean, that's speculation. I think God does use uh, situations, circumstances to send us in different directions to do different things. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure why John Mark left. Maybe he was just young. Some commentators will say he was simply afraid, uh, and he returned back to Jerusalem. Um, and bear in mind, now, some commentators say that John Mark was Barnabas's nephew, so there was some blood there, if that be the case. John Mark was Barnabas's nephew. Now, now, if we look at these places, Paphos and Perga and Pamphylia, 
Uh, Paphos was the capital of Syria. Perga was in the coast of southern modern-day Turkey. The area is what is referred to as Asia Minor. Uh, if you look at the churches that Paul established, they were in Asia Minor. If you look at the seven churches of the book of Revelation, all of them in Asia Minor, they made up a mail route, if you would, in Asia Minor. Colossae is in Asia Minor. Galatia is in Asia Minor. So now notice in verse number 14, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets and the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up, beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Now, this Antioch in Pisidia is not the same Antioch where they had come from. Um, and we will find moving forward that Paul always went to the synagogue first when he entered the city and entered into any city. Now, some will argue about what he preached when he got there uh, because some will say he preached the gospel of the kingdom in, in the synagogue. Some will say he preached the gospel of grace in the synagogues. All I know is that when he did go into the synagogue, he ended up ministering to Gentiles. And I know for a fact that with the Gentiles, he would not have been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Um, Now, he may have did both. (laughs) I'm not sure. I wasn't there. Now, I used to comfort myself in saying that the, the synagogues were full of Jews only and Gentiles were not allowed. But that's simply not the case. Uh, Gentiles were in the synagogues. Um, now, I know for a fact Gentiles were not allowed into the temple. They could come as full, only as far as the court of the Gentiles, uh, but they were allowed into uh, the synagogues. Uh, I mean, we see in Acts 13, 42, and when the Jews had gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought these words, that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So obviously they heard whatever these words were, which means they were there when they were said. In Acts 14, 1, and it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and they spake that a great multitude, both of Jews and Gentiles, believed. Uh, In Acts 17, 1 through 4, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his manner was, he went into them three Sabbath days, and he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. In other words, he he tried to persuade them as to Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of chief women, not a few. So, the Greeks here are not the Hellenistas, which are the Greek-speaking Jews. These are Gentiles, the the Hellenes, as they were referred to. Um, Acts seventeen ten, and when the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, they who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews, and these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether these things be so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable men which were Greeks, and of men not a few. 
So, <clears throat> so apparently these synagogues had both Jew and Gentile in them. And Paul used this as, a, as an opportunity to present the gospel of grace, not only to his brethren in the flesh, but also, of course, to the Gentiles. So Paul would go in, and, and notice he addresses the men of Israel, ye that fear God. So men of Israel and ye that fear God, that tells you he's speaking to two different people. <laughs> he's speaking to the men of Israel and the rest of you that fear God. Give the audience. So it's apparent there were Jew and Gentile in the synagogue. <clears throat> now notice in verse number 17, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with a high arm brought them out of it. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. Now, this is talking about the Exodus when God led Israel, exalted them, and he took them out of the land of Egypt with a high arm and about the time of 40 years, remember the wilderness wanderings were 40 years under Moses, and then he died, and then Joshua came to lead. And when he had destroyed seven lands, seven nations in the land of Canaan. Now we know, according to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 1, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Prezites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations mightier and greater than thou. So that's what he's referring to. He's referring to the wilderness wanderings. And after that, <clears throat> he gave unto them judges for about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. Um <clears throat> verses back here, um, until Samuel the prophet, and afterward they desired a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all of my will." So again, Paul is taking them through here, their wilderness wonders, they're, they're conquering the seven nations, they come into the, they come into the land, um, and then he gave them the judges, and you remember the story of Deborah and Barak and, and Samson, those were the judges, until Samuel the prophet. And then Samuel the prophet, they decided they wanted a king. And the first king that was given to them was Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. And again, notice where he's driving this. He's driving this to David, which is taking him to Jesus, okay? Now, notice verse number 24. And when John, <clears throat> I see verse number 23, of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Okay, this is where he's going with this. Um and when John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all of the people of Israel. Now, it needs to be understood that the Savior that John preached was exclusively the Savior of the nation of Israel, through which 
he would use that nation to reach the world with the kingdom message. Uh, the whole part about being a nation of kings and priests has nothing to do with the body of Christ. I've preached sermons on how we are a nation of kings and priests. No, we're not. The Jews are a kingdom of priests, and they were to reach the nations once they accepted the kingdom message. And notice the baptism of repentance that John preached. We do not preach, or at least we're not supposed to preach, the baptism of repentance today. We, we do. Unfortunately, we are conflating the gospel of the kingdom with the gospel of grace, and we're preaching baptismal repentance. We're preaching that you got to be baptized to be saved. Again, that's conflating the gospel of the kingdom with the gospel of grace. It's teaching a works salvation. There's no way around it. If you tell somebody they have to repent, they have to be baptized, those are works. Those are things that you do on your own to gain favor with God. That's works. The gospel of grace is simply believe and thou shalt be saved. Believe thou and thine house might be saved. It's simple belief. And again, the whole um, altar call thing that we do today is not biblical. Um that person is saved not by responding to the fifth line of just as I am, but that person became a believer the moment they believed. That could have been five minutes into your message. That could have been 15 minutes into your message. That might have been two seconds into your message. So the altar call should be seen not as a time of salvation per se, but just as a time of question, a time as... Of, of commitment, a time of uh, a public acknowledgement of a, a belief, but it's certainly not salvation. And there's too many today that when you ask them, when did you become a, when did you believe? Oh, when I responded to, and they, they're, they, in their mind, they may be, but too many of them believe that going forward was their salvation. And they disconnect that act of works from the act of belief that may or may not ever happened. Again, there's a danger there. That person is saved before they even come down. Now, maybe they've got some clarifying questions that they want to ask, and maybe once they've asked those questions, ah, I believe that. So, so yeah, but we, but we cannot confuse an altar call with salvation. And too many have done that. Too many continue to do that. So we do not partake in the baptism of repentance. And when we do, we're conflating the gospel of the kingdom with the gospel of grace. Now, if you look at Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize. I didn't. I mean, if, if baptism was a part of salvation, how, would, how could Paul possibly say God did not send me to baptize? But to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of crosses to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are being saved is the power of God. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, For by grace ye have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation, I mean, baptism is an act of works. And Paul says, I didn't come to preach baptism. So I don't believe, and again, I've told you guys I'm going to do a study on this eventually. Uh, I do not believe that baptism is a requirement uh, even an expectation for the body of Christ, just like the Lord's Supper. There's nothing wrong with doing either one of them, but realize they're not necessarily for the body of Christ. The, the Lord's Supper, well, this, is, this is the blood of the covenant. Uh, 
Well, we're not a covenant people. The covenant was to be made with the Jewish people, not with the Gentile. The covenant was to be made with the Jewish nation, not with the body of Christ. So so why are we doing it? Well, we can do it in remembrance of him and in remembrance of his death, burial, and resurrection. But the actual Lord's Supper was first and foremost for the Jewish people in, in, in memory of the covenant that he was going to make with them, which he did not make with them because they rejected his kingship and his kingdom. Now, is there any problem with doing it in a symbolic manner? No, but again, I mean, you've got the Roman Catholic Church running around saying, if you don't partake in the Lord's Supper, then you're lost. If you don't partake of the Mass, you're damned. You know, again, we've taken everything to the stream. Uh, we've got the Church of Christ folks and a lot of other ones running around saying, well, if you don't get baptized, you're not saved. Again, we are a people of extremes. Um, they're both commemorative. Even if you do do them, if you don't do them, you're not you're not defying Scripture. But if you do do them, as long as you remember, they are purely symbolic. They are first and foremost, primarily for the nation of Israel. As long as you don't make either one of them salvific, which is what we do today. Uh, you know, the Roman Church says you got to do this. You don't partake of the mass, then then you're 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 not going to heaven. And then others run around, including the Roman church. You know, you got to get baptized. You know, again, neither one of them are salvific because neither one of them were, were for the body of Christ. Now notice in verse number 24, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, whom think ye that I am? I'm not him. <laughs> but behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to loose. John always pointed to Jesus. And what he's referring to here is in John chapter number one, and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? Who are you? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I'm not him. I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Are you? And he saith, I'm not. Are you that prophet? Understand the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, uh, it said that that someone would come preaching in the wilderness, you know? Um, and it said Elijah would come before that great and notable day of the Lord. Um, and again, that's another Bible study. I think he did come on the Mount of Transfiguration. I think he will come in, in Revelation chapter number 11 as one of the two witnesses. But John, but John the Baptist saying here, I'm not Elijah. He could have, would have, could have been, should have been, but he wasn't Elijah in the flesh. Uh, he wasn't uh, that prophet that Moses said would come because he was referring to Jesus. And, of course, he said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. And then they said, and who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the paths of the Lord. That was the one that Malachi spoke of that would come, which would have, should have been lies. It wasn't because they rejected the witness of John. And Jesus spoke about that, and that's another Bible study. Now, notice in verse number 26, <clears throat> Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of salvation sent. It seems obvious from the text that Paul is speaking to both Jew and Gentile. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God. So he's preaching to both Jew and Gentile, and he's preaching the gospel of grace. Now notice in verse number 27. For they, for they that dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. 
And they and though they found no cause of death in him, they desired that pilot that pilot that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in his sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up from with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. So let's unpack this. What Paul is talking about here <clears throat> had only occurred 12 years earlier at the crucifixion. And notice that he says that the people who did it, they knew him not. They knew him not. All the while, he says, while the voices of the prophets were being read every single week in the temples and the synagogues, yet when he came, you knew him not. Yet you were reading the very prophecies that foretold of his coming, and when he came, you knew him not. And in your ignorance, he said, you have fulfilled them in condemning him. You have fulfilled prophecy in your ignorance by condemning the one that would come, which was not John the Baptist, referring to Jesus himself. In your ignorance, he says, you have fulfilled prophecy. Um, Peter addressed this in, in Acts chapter number three, verse number 13, when he said, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see now, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, brethren, I know that through ignorance you did it, as also did your rulers. But those things which God before had shown by the mouth of all of his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Notice the language is almost the exact same. They have fulfilled them in condemning him. Peter said the same thing. You did this through your ignorance. This, this very one you read about in your synagogues and in the temple, the very one that came to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament, you killed him in your ignorance, and therefore you fulfilled the prophecies. And Jesus said the same in Luke 23, 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. They do not realize that I am fulfillment. I am the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. Uh, Stephen said in Acts 7, verse number 60, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Father, lay not the sin to their charge. What sin? The sin of killing him for rejecting the message that Stephen was preaching in regards to who the Messiah was. And it's important to understand this because they did it <clears throat> They did not do it knowingly. If they had knowingly acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus was that prophet, no grace could have been extended. So I'm not making too much of this. In order for grace to be extended, they had to have done it in ignorance. They had to have done it in ignorance. Also, we mentioned earlier, even the apostles themselves had been walking in ignorance in spite of the fact that Jesus told them emphatically what was going to happen to him when they got back into Jerusalem. They still didn't understand it. They were still looking for the king, the kingdom. They expected when he came into Jerusalem that the kingdom should suddenly appear. James and John's mother said, when you come into your kingdom, can my boys sit on your right and your left? Woman, you don't know what you're asking. No, she didn't have a clue what she was asking. 
Um, again, they were walking in ignorance. Even after the resurrection, they were all still, still utterly clueless <clears throat> in regards to what was going on. In Luke chapter 24, you'll remember the story, and behold, two of them the same day, two of, they, uh, <clears throat> behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which is from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, as they walked, uh, as they taught together the things which had happened. So they were going back and recapping about how they followed Jesus for these three years and how he was wrongfully accused and he was crucified. It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, in other words, they're trying to find a reason, they're trying to come up with an answer, Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden, so they didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Now, Jesus knew the answer to that, just like he knew, Adam, wherefore art thou? He knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to know where Adam was. And one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, had not known the things which have come to pass in these days? And he said, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth with the prophets, which the prophets which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they've crucified him. But listen to verse 21, very important. But we trusted, but we trusted, past tense, that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. We thought he was the one. We thought we were going to come back from Capernaum, and we were going to come into Jerusalem. <clears throat> he would walk into that temple you know, and and he would sit upon the throne of his father David. He would fulfill the Davidic covenants. He would the the Davidic promises. He would have fulfilled the Abrahamic promises. You know, and John and I would have sat on his right and his left. I mean, we'd have ruled the twelve tribes of Israel just like he promised. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. But we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. So they were in ignorance too. And we referred to this. The law makes it very clear that if someone knowingly, premeditatively killed someone, that was murder. And it was eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. But if someone unknowingly, unpremeditatively killed someone, then they could flee to a city of refuge where they would be protected until the current high priest died, or the current priest died. I guess it was a high priest, descendants of Aaron. Um, and this is we see this also, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.6, uh, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor for the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Understand, they did it in ignorance. And the fact that they did it in ignorance granted them a reprieve. It granted them grace. And the ultimate act of grace that God gave the nation of Israel is that he raised up the apostle Paul and he put them in a temporary state of blindness. He postponed the kingdom to a later date. And that will be once the times of the Gentiles is complete. Once the rapture of the church takes place, God will again 
focus his attention upon the nation of Israel, their eyes will be opened and they will see the one that he has pierced, that they have pierced and wail as one wails. You know, that's what the prophecies and the promises refer to uh, in regards to the nation of Israel. So anyway, that's as far as we have gotten in our study Monday through Friday. Um, Starting tomorrow, you're going to see a little bit of a shift in the way I do the recordings. Um, just looking at at just those who listen, uh, far more uh, people uh, focus on the podcast um, through Apple Podcast and through uh, SoundCloud, where it's originally recorded. So the Monday through Friday recordings are going to be primarily focused on that podcast audience, but it's still going to be recorded on Facebook, uh, just you know, just a little bit different setup. And then, of course, <clears throat> on uh, on Sunday, still continue what we're doing. Again, we're not going to lose the Facebook Live. We're going to keep doing the Facebook Live. But I'm just going to start targeting a little bit more specifically that podcast audience since uh, I'm amazed at the diverse group uh, that uh, I'm, I'm the Lord bringing through that. I'm shocked at it, to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of feedback, a lot of questions, a lot of responses. So still the same thing. Just you may see me with some headphones on or something like that because I'm really going to kind of focus more toward that podcast type thing. Um, and, and again, the format with Facebook has to be pretty bland. I can't even play music. If I play, you remember before I would play the music, well, Facebook started dropping my recordings because they said I was playing copywritten music. So anyway, still the same thing, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. I may back that up earlier, and I've asked some of you guys, would you want that to be backed up? I don't know your work schedules. I remember when I worked jobs, I always had to be at work at 8 o'clock or before that, but I'm willing to back those up if that's more beneficial to some of you. Just let me know. Most of you, 99% of you listen to these after the fact, not live anyway, except for the exception of my brother Scott. <laughs> so <clears throat> just let me know uh, about that. But still going to be doing Monday through Friday, 8 a.m., unless I decide to back it up at 7, but I'll let you know if I did do that. Um, and then Sunday mornings, 9 o'clock, reviewing everything that we covered Monday through Friday. Well, God bless you guys. I hope that you have a great Lord's Day, and always remember that God loves you wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good. Until tomorrow morning.